This is Real Talk, the Customer Insights Show with Jen Vogel, a top-rated live stream and podcast in the market research and insights industry. We stream live on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube, and you can listen on all major podcast channels. Join Jen and her guests for a weekly discussion around topics that will help you understand your customers better. Real Talk is presented to you by Vox Popme, the leader in video research and ranked number one in qualitative research by GRIT two years running. Here's today's conversation. Hello, insights professionals, marketers, and everyone who wants to understand their customers better. I'm your host, Jen Vogel, and today I'm talking about why not to start with your why. Certainly, many people have quoted over the years Simon Sinek when it comes to knowing your company's why um, for being in business, but there may be another way to think about the why. Author and marketing expert Mark Schaefer says, please, let's not start with your why. And he's here to tell us about that. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hi, Jen. It's good to see you. Good to see you. So happy to have you on. I'm dying to know. I'm looking at your background. I'm always looking at everybody's backgrounds. Um, who signed that baseball on your uh, on your shelf? There is that a signed ball? It seems it's like a it- very, it's a very it's a very special ball. Um, I was I was speaking to uh, the annual conference of Tops baseball cards. Oh, cool! How fun, right? Yeah. And I was using pictures of my favorite players' baseball cards in my talk. And I mentioned my favorite baseball player of all time was the Pittsburgh Pirate great Willie Stargell. Someone from the audience yells, do you have an autographed baseball from Willie Stargell? I said, no. He said, I'll send you one. <laughs> How funny. I so mean, that it- is, that's from... That's from my successful talk at Tops Baseball Cards. I love it. It would that story would only be better if Willie himself was in the audience. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. That's fantastic. Well, I'm really excited to jump into this topic today and hear more about your take. And you know, when it comes to the why companies should consider, um, tell us about your stance on that because you know a lot. This is a hot topic. It, it sort of is a hot topic. And it became a hot topic for me when, you know, first of all, all credit, all props to Simon Sinek. He is a great author. He's a great thought leader. I admire him very much. This is really nothing against Simon. But what I was seeing happen, Jen, is that his advice to start with your why was really starting to be applied very, very broadly. And what I think inappropriately across the marketing spectrum. And so it was sort of like bubbling on my radar screen where people would talk about starting your marketing strategy with your why or starting your content strategy with your why and focusing on what is our narrative? What is the arc of our story? What is our why? And here's the truth. Nobody cares. (laughs) I mean, when you get right down to it, consumers really care most about their why, about the arc of their story. They want to know how you can come alongside them at their point of need and help them have a happier life, a healthier life, a more entertaining life. They want to save money. They want to make money or whatever your product 
is supposed to do. And so it just got to sort of the boiling point with me, which is what happens, you know, I'll see things a couple times on the internet and I'll kind of like put it down. And then after I start seeing it three, four, five times, I thought I got to write something about this because I think it's wrong. In fact, I think it's one of the great mythologies in, in marketing today that we, that everything has to start with your why there is certainly a place for your why, um, especially when it comes to something like purpose-driven marketing. But generally speaking, uh, people don't care. <laughs> I think you're you're so right. I say that all the time. No, that's cares. good. I'm Nobody really glad you thought I was right because no. I was prepared to be taken on here. <laughs> oh, not at all. No, I I am a firm believer that you know people in general. You can call them customers or consumers or users or whatever. People care about what's in it for me. You yeah, know? that's right. I don't care about what is in it for you or, you know, yeah. and, and what you're saying about like how that, you know, I think Simon Sinek's like probably what he's saying is, is sort of similar, but that you, what you said that it was misinterpreted and broadened and it has turned it. I mean, PR agencies all over the place are talking about like, we got to tell your story, your company story, but I yeah. I'm with you. Nobody well, look, you know, I, I was very fortunate to um, study under under Peter Drucker. And one of the things he taught us in terms of like really looking at the strategy of, your, of, of the business, he, he would, you know, one of his key questions that have gone down in history is why are you in business? Why are you in business? Why are you doing this? How did you get started? It's important to know that, especially today when we're being challenged sometimes when by customers, they want to know what we stand for. Um, you know, if we're drawn into some of those public discussions, it's really important to start in those cases with our why. How did we, you know, how did we get here? Why are we doing what we do? But in terms of marketing, I'm just, I just think it's becoming too me-centered instead of they-centered. We need to put the customer at the heart of everything we do, not, you know, our why at, at the heart of everything we do. Yeah. You're not going to get an argument from me about getting closer to customers. That's what we're all about on this show. A cheerful conversation today. And I'm glad we're having it. We're going to have some fun. But I mean, so many people really buy into the Simon Sinek, your why, you know, your yeah. company, why, why, why do you think you're one of the few that kind of questions it a bit? You know, I think in a way it's a symptom of a larger culture in marketing. And I'm so grateful um, that I spent most of my career in a Fortune 100 company that really valued independent thinking, data-based thinking, challenging the status quo. And sometimes in the marketing world, I think I'm in an alternate universe because it feels like we're not really we're not really discerning. We're not independent thinkers. We're we're not data-based. We're guru-led, right? Mm. So it's like the things that I see on the internet, people will just post 
uh, again, I'm not picking on people, but like something from Gary Vaynerchuk or something from Seth Godin. And, uh, and I'll think, do they even think about what they're saying? You know, it, 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 it doesn't make it true just because a guru said it. Is it really relevant? Is it really backed by data? And I find that these little sayings from the gurus start like piling up and like, like creating these fossils of ideas in marketing. That's probably a really poor analogy, but it, 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 it like, it like they harden and they become like part of the canon of marketing. And sometimes it's just not true. It doesn't even make sense sometimes. And I think that's what happened with, you know, start with your, start with your why. I think the intent, you know, and the original idea in his book and in his favorite famous TED talk was very uh, valid, but now it's like been hardened into something else and, and part of a marketing strategy where it shouldn't be there. Mm, that's so interesting. I, I see exactly what you see. There are certain personas yeah. in social media that get the, oh my God, yes, regardless of what they're saying. Exactly. <laughs> it's crazy. It it's is crazy. crazy. Right. And I even challenged one of my friends one time. She, you know, she used this quote. She actually made it like into a little infographic thing. And I know her well enough to say, this is so untrue. Why <laughs> did you post this? Just think about it. And she said, oh my gosh, you're right. You know, I've, I've, I felt a little uncomfortable about it, but because this famous person said it, well, I, I, I thought it must be important. Mm -hmm. And isn't that weird that we're yeah. the marketing so much of marketing today is, is guru led. Yeah, you're so right. And when I'm, th I think like, you know, what makes those gurus, those marketing gurus so, you know, prolific it's they, they do their own, branding, their own marketing for their own personal brand, right? And and a lot of it is passion, right? Especially you mentioned Gary Vee or like, you know, just the energy and the passion. And when I think about too, like Simon Sinek's TED Talk, some of the examples that he used, mm -hmm. do I think that those, you know, Wright Brothers, for example, do I think the Wright Brothers better understood their why or do I think they just had that passion and drive and care yeah. and desire to get to that outcome? Like, is that the same thing? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know if it's so much about why you're doing it, like understanding why you're doing it and not caring about why you're doing it is mm -hmm. still not going to be successful <laughs> as somebody who doesn't understand the why, I guess is what I'm thinking. Yeah, I think that's a good point. So, um, I mean, let's talk about like putting the customer at the heart of it and really understanding their why, you know, that's the direction we want to move in. How do companies figure out, you know, what their customer's why is? Well, you know, I, I'm glad you brought this up because this is another rather hot topic for me because I think that we are really in a period right now of unintended consequences because of the pandemic. I think we have been changed in, in millions of ways, millions of little ways. They're going to show up in, in weird buying patterns for a generation. 
I don't consider any consumer data that was conducted before March of 2020. Mm. It's irrelevant because March of 2020, you know, the pandemic wasn't just a blip on the, on the screen. It was a, a restart. It was a reframing of what we do, how we work, where we work, how we learn, how we teach, how we connect, how we entertain ourselves. And the, 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 the data coming out of the pandemic is profound. How many consumer habits have changed for good? So this leads us to think that if you thought you knew your customers before, we need to suspend those ideas right now. And we need to go back. We need to get out, see our customers, talk to our customers, survey our customers, and really make sure we know what's going on out there because the, cha the changes are really profound. And it's way, way beyond the obvious things about sur a surge in e-commerce. Hmm. You know, one, here's just one little thing. Um, I, I, I saw this statistic that in many households, children have taken over the e-commerce function. It goes something like this. I mean, during the pandemic, we couldn't go to the store, especially elderly people were locked in. And the kids said, oh, don't worry, grandmother. You don't have to understand all this internet stuff. I'll buy this stuff for you. Let me figure it out, right? And so the e-commerce the, the e decisions for entirely fam entire family units were being taken over by the children. Is that still going to be the case? I don't know. But it's something we need to pay attention to. Well, I, I mean, I can vouch for that, that my, my six-year-old is definitely the boss of my purchasing. <laughs> he may not actually press the buttons, but he pulls the strings. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, it's so interesting that you say, like, that's a profound statement that March 2020, any data on this sort of behavior, yeah. it, was a reset. it was, it really was a reset. Yeah. And, you know, I, I can see now, as we're emerging into a world where we can go out to the store without you know, I mean, there was a period of time where all of my groceries were delivered, like I was literally not leaving the house at all. Like, you know, some of those behaviors are kind of, you know, uh, maybe leveling out a bit again. But um, it is a time where we kind of need to continue talking to people because it's still changing, right? Like people's preferences, like new behaviors that emerged during the pandemic might stick around, some might go back, you know, I thought I'd never go to a movie theater ever again. But you know, that is starting to change. So, you know, that reset, it wasn't like, you know, something changed and now that's the way it is. Like it just is still changing with oh, every, every, you know, new phase of this world that we're in right now. Well, absolutely. I think it's going to be particularly interesting when it comes to children, mm. because we can't really see what's happening with them. How you know, they're, they're in these formative years, um, there was an article, I believe it was in the Wall Street Journal, that talked about how so many two and three-year-olds now have British accents hmm. because 
the working parents or the parents that were just trying to get some quiet time locked in with the kids during the pandemic basically gave up and said, go ahead, watch as much Peppa Pig as you want to. <laughs> and now the, a lot of these children have like British accents and they call cookies biscuits and, you know, uh, but, but, but the, 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 the children have been socialized in such a weird, weird way as the p- pandemic was kind of starting to ease up a little bit. I went to a, a family event. It was outside, but people were still wearing masks. And there was a, a two-year-old girl. And she was picking little flowers from the grass and, and decorating my shoes and giggling. Now, normally, I would have picked her up and made her laugh. Now, remember, I'm wearing this mask. And then some children were playing nearby. She ran over to play with the children, and her parents grabbed her back, all right, because the pandemic was still kind of scary at that point. So how is this child being socialized? I don't know if this man likes me. He didn't pick me up. The only people who pick me up are my parents. I can't see his facial expressions. I don't know if he likes me. There's something dangerous about playing with other children. I want to go play with them. I get keep, keep getting pulled back. Now, if you think about the millions and millions of messages landing on kids today, how is that going to show up when they're consumers and they're you know, 18, 19 years old? Mm. We don't know. There's no way we're going to know, but it's going to be wild. Yeah, yeah. If I had to guess, I think they'll be more well-adjusted than some of us adults are today. (laughs) I guess we'll have to wait and see and find out. Um, Now, I mean, you mentioned talking to customers. What tips do you have for companies to do that successfully? Well, I guess I'm, I'm old school when it comes to that stuff. Uh, whenever I take on a new client, if it's possible, I like to actually go out and talk to clients. I like to see their environment. I want to you know, have a conversation that's a little more revealing than something you can find out in a survey. I want to see the store. I want to see how our products displayed. How are our competitors displayed? Are they doing anything different with their packaging? I want to see everything that's impacting our sales. You know, remember, I mean, marketing is a lot more than your why. (laughs) It's your price. It's your packaging. It's your distribution. It's your location. It's your service. And so I think this is a time if if you're ever going to spend the effort to go out and listen to customers It would be now. And if you're in a B2B company where the sales might be a little bit more technical or a little bit more complicated, I would actually recommend taking two people on each visit uh, so you can have two different perspectives. Maybe when you're taking notes, the other person saw something in the body language or something. And uh, so, uh, so, I, I used to do it as a very formal activity. We would train people on how to uh, listen, how to take notes, how to ask questions. And uh, now is a good time to be doing that kind of thing. 
Mm. And I think what one of the things that you were just saying, like, as you're describing how important it is, it's not just the que- the answers to the questions, it's the context, right? Like, you mm-hmm. know, seeing the store, understanding the full picture, you know, we talk about this a lot with, with cl- clients or on the show here about how, you know, understanding the person behind the consumer, you know, the person you're talking to, that's your customer, it's not only your customer, right? Mm-hmm. They have a life and a family and a house or an apartment or something. And kind of understanding how you fit in with the broader context of their life and the broader context of the shopping experience or the service experience, whatever, mm-hmm. is really key to making sure you're understanding their why and why they buy from you so that you can encourage more of that. You know, one of the most profound experiences in my professional life was on one of these listen to the customer visits. Mm. And uh, we were visiting a a big, big major consumer product company. And we went and we, you know, went through our thing. We asked the questions and we, we're taking notes and the, the session was over and we decided, Hey, let's all go out to lunch. And we're at lunch with this person. And the person said, Hey, did you happen to see this new piece of research that coming out by the government? This is really just starting to get on our radar screen, but this could have really important implications for what, you know, what we do. We had never heard of this. But we immediately investigated and it ended up creating a multi-million dollar change in our product that really helped all of our customers and created an amazing point of differentiation for us. That never would have happened if we hadn't been there talking to these people face to face. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Like those. I always say that the answers to the questions you didn't know you needed to ask, right? And spending time with the customer is really how you get to that. And I guess to that point, like, how do you, you know, how do you frame your questions, like, to make sure that you open up that space to get those answers that you maybe didn't know were hiding under there? Well, I, you know, I think it's first, it's important to just have some some chit chat, <laughs> you know, especially <laughs> if you don't know the person very well. And just, I can almost, I've see the color of my hair here proves I can find a, a point of contact, uh, something that is common between me and almost every person. If we spent here long enough time here long enough, Jen, I'm sure we could find, you know, a city in common, music in common or something that we could start igniting and starting to get to to know each other. And then I I ask more general business questions that might give insight into what I do or my or the products or my services. Something like, well, as a procurement director, what keeps you up at night these days? What's and it could be something organizationally it could be something political. It could be something going on in the economy that could still be interesting and informative to, 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 to my product narrative because you know that's impacting my customer. And it may be something we can take off their plate, something we can prove about our products and services. 
Hmm. Yeah, I think that, yeah, that chit chat and that sort of empathy building is really important. We got to find out, you know, what's our connection to Kevin Bacon, right? The degrees to Kevin Bacon. I'm sure we can, we could figure that out pretty easily. And, you know, so you kind of have a plan for what you're trying to uncover. I love that question of what keeps you up at night. There's a lot of really great guides out there on in the, in the internet (laughs) somewhere about, you know, questions like that, what keeps you up at night, waving the magic wand and solving all your problems. And what does that look like? I think that's really, um, you know, some really great ways to frame what you're trying to understand. And um, there's a book that everybody in the company now is on a, on a trend of reading called the mom test. And the concept is that, you know, if you ask your mom, if a product is a good idea or something, she's going to lie to you and say yes, because she loves you. (laughs) So you got to like ask some like questions that, uh, you know, that people can't lie about, right? Because they're trying. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 I uncovered this huge opportunity for a major pharmaceutical company. They had spent millions and millions of dollars surveying doctors Mm. about how they make decisions on a certain product, on a certain, you know, pharmaceutical product. Well, their answer was, well, we want to see the thorough testing and the reports. We want to see that. And next, we have to talk to our patient because the input of the patient and way, way, way down the list was my sales rep. And what happened was this company started cutting back on their sales reps. And everywhere they were cutting back, their competitors were adding sales reps Mm -hmm. and they were getting killed in the marketplace. They were following the research perfectly, giving the doctors all the research, all the reports, everything that they wanted. And they kept losing market share because the doctors were lying. Oh my gosh. Because the doctors were filling out the survey how they should fill it out. Hmm. They wouldn't say, look, I love this, this, this lady. We go out and we play golf. She's been my sales rep for 15 years. I'm always going to buy off of her. They're not going to say that in a survey. Mm-hmm. And so once, so once I was able to show how their competitors were, re, were investing, they completely changed their sales and marketing strategy because mm-hmm. it, it, it was exactly what you're saying. It was the mom test. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about how you frame the question, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the everybody should go out and read that book. I've loved it. It's been uh, really, really interesting. Rob Fitzpatrick, if you're listening, I'd love to have you on the show to talk more about how you word those questions. But um, yeah, that's um, it's really important to to frame it in a way that, you know, people don't lie on purpose, right? Nobody's intentionally trying to like, be um deceptive but oh, right you know there's certain I mean, ways right. that you can word that exactly yeah. exactly yeah. That's, a um, super, that's a super important point yeah 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 and then how do you find like how do you go about finding the the right people to talk to well i guess i'm in uh, i'm i've always been in a sort of weird situation uh may, not unique situation but my career has been entirely really B2B. Hmm. And so I always know exactly, you know, who the 
customers are because normally we wouldn't have a million customers. We've got a couple dozen customers and it's fairly easy to go out and, and, and talk to those people and, uh, you know, build a relationship with them over time in B2B. Normally there's, you know, some stability in companies where you can actually get to know people. And if they ever leave, probably they're going to one of your other customers. Mm. And you know, same today. I mean, I normally have somewhere between five and 10 customers. And so it, it's just kind of an ongoing process in, in, uh, in B2B. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it can easier in some ways or, and harder, I guess. I, you know, it's all hard. It's hard to talk to customers. It requires some real dedication, right? Mm-hmm. But with B2B, you know, you are working large sample sizes often and the marketing is a lot more uh, targeted and more yeah. niche, whereas a lot of, you know, direct to consumer products or CPG products that are selling through a channel. I mean, you've got a huge target audience, which and can be difficult the- to get. It still is, you know, B2B, you know, most of the time it's still very relationship based. Mm. So, and, and I think one of the things that you're sort of hinting at here is that it, it's hard to do this stuff sometimes because, you know, if here I am, I'm on the East coast, I have customers on the West coast. That means I need to get on a plane. You know, it kind of blows the whole week to go out and talk to some people in July I'm heading up to Chicago. I've got some customers up out, out there and I'm, I'm just blocking out the day saying, I'm not going to work. I haven't seen these people in three years. Yeah. I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to sit down and learn about what they're doing and, and uh, how I can serve them better, how we might collaborate in new ways. So, you know, it take, it does take time. It does take uh, commitment. It does take you away, but especially now, there's probably not a more important thing that we can be doing. The key skill set right now in marketing, I think, is to be humble, mm. is to not think you know it all, you know your customers, you know what's going on out there, because you probably don't. The world has changed. So it's time to get out there, be humble, listen, and kind of validate what you thought you knew. Yeah, I love that. I, we we say get curious. Um, and so I think this is a great spot to, you know, be curious about your customers and the who you're serving, what they care about, because you're right, things have changed quite a bit. Um, well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Um, you've got some great books back there on the shelf. Is there any that you'd love to to share with our audience today? What, well, those are all my books. I know, <laughs> I know they are. Thanks for that lead in, Jen. <laughs> Is there a well, book you'd like to promote today? Well, you know, the, 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 the yellow one above my, above my uh, shoulder here. Uh, let's see. No, I'm mirroring. There you go. There. Yeah. Cumulative Advantage is, is my new one. Um, but, you know, all my books have done very, very well. I've actually written nine books and starting to think about a, a tenth. Cumulative Advantage is my new book and it talks about how do we build, build momentum in this very busy world. I think the question on every marketer's mind is how can we be heard? How can we be seen? How can we be discovered? And if the competition is sort of burying you, even if you're doing your very best work, 
it's time to find a new way to build momentum. And that's what cumulative advantage is about. Awesome. Thank you so much. Everybody go find the book. We'll put a link in the comments for you to access it. Um, thanks again for coming on the show today, Mark. Thank you, Jen. It was a great conversation. Absolutely. Thanks everyone for listening in. We'll be back with another episode next week when we talk with Rebecca Brooks. See you then.